Hello, curious buyers. Today, I'm going to answer some listener questions about foreclosures, insider deals, and investing for first-time home buyers. So you ready to take a walk on the wild side and learn the tricks of the game? Let's do this. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the How to Buy a Home podcast. What is happening, all my How to Buy a Homies? I want to welcome you old schoolers binging all those episodes or jumping up here to a current one so you can keep up with what's going on because things are so nuts in the 2022 market. And if you're a new listener and you're here today and you're ready to consume this one podcast and think you're going to get all the tips and go out there and find a rock star realtor and a bitchin' mortgage broker and then go buy a house and make all kinds of money this weekend... Well, I do still welcome you, really happy to have you, and I'm extremely happy you're listening. After 16 years of helping hundreds of first-time homebuyers myself, and now with the podcast, thousands across the whole country, I highly recommend that you consume a little bit more of this content. You shouldn't take a top 10 list or a TikTok video to choose your realtor and your mortgage broker. How do I say this nicely? Any idiot can pass the real estate license exam, and they do. (laughs) lots of them. Now, don't freak out. I'm not a hater. I'm a purveyor of reality and a messenger of hope for you. And if you want a quick fix, I recommend that you call your smack dealer because this podcast deals in facts. We're not about the quick high. And the fact is this huge decision is gigantic. And if you like this podcast, my advice is going to be able to help you out. You can scroll through all the topics, listen to 15, 20, 30, 50 podcasts to help you out. The number one thing all my first-time buyers is tell me all the time. They're listening to me in their ear holes, right? And then they come back to me and they say, damn, I should have started planning for this sooner. Well, here's your chance. You got a chance to consume all this. Seriously, start thinking today about your plan. I recently had a listener hit me up on Instagram and he told me this. I haven't listened to my radio for three weeks. I've been binging your podcast. So my first thought was, dude, radio? Seriously? I'm 51 and I don't even know how to use the radio in my car. Come on. I thought it was all playlists and podcasts, bro. Anyway, though, thank you very much for the love. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer questions from the listeners who have been here for a while, my How to Buy Homies. And it's another edition of the Reality Check podcast. I did one last time and it got some good feedback. I'm lying. It's not even out yet. I'm just making that up. I'm a terrible podcast host. Okay. The last episode I gave, uh, it gave some reality checks. And I actually thought that it would be good for you guys to hear this stuff too. There are no stupid questions. Crush the confusion. That's what I'm trying to do here on the podcast. I'm trying to crush the confusion. What is stupid is the lack of quality information out there for you first-time home buyers and how poorly the real estate industry treats you. So today we're going to cover these questions that you want to know. How do I take advantage of short sales or foreclosures? The other topic, how do I get an insider deal? And then we're going to talk about buying an investment home first because, you know, you want to build an empire, right? Topic number one, how do I take advantage of short sales and foreclosures? Okay, first of all, totally with you, bro. Love that you're thinking outside the box. Getting creative and not afraid of a little elbow grease and sweat equity on buying your first home, stoked on that. Super cool. Now, let me completely burst your bubble. Number one, speaking of bubbles, this is not a housing bubble. 
So don't be looking for a whole bunch of foreclosures. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the other episodes. They're the ones in, in the word in the title. It says the word bubble because I'm simple like that. I'm basic. And number two, foreclosures, they just don't exist in this market. Ta-da! That's your answer. That's the end of what I'm trying to tell you. I wish I saw an easy way into this housing market for everybody. All right? For everybody in 2022, but I just don't. So how's that for Captain Positive? You longtime listeners are like, dude, where's my cheerleader? I'm not saying you still shouldn't look for a way in. It's probably still mathematically better move for most people, you know, than fighting an ever-increasing rental market. So you have to pay more each year. But there is some reality here. Are you going to see the huge 19% bump like we saw last year when people who bought a home? Nope. Blame the universe for not having you be mentally ready to listen to the podcast in 2019 when I was just a sociopathic dude in my living room scaring the crap out of my kids, screaming into a microphone at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of the night. Another question about this for foreclosures here that'll help you answer. Will you get another 10 years of the market appreciating so you can cash in? Nope. Sorry. Blame your parents for not getting freaky 10 years earlier. You came of age at this end of a decade of a long run-up in real estate, and there's nothing you can do about that unless you know Doc Brown. Will there be another huge crash so you can swoop in and get foreclosures for cheap? Nope. As of today, the numbers don't support a crash. Check the facts and figures in the episodes 47, 48, 57, 68, 70, 72, 73, and 74. If that was too fast for you, you have a rewind button. Okay, fine, Sidoni, fine. But there has to be one sad sack out there who's tragically gonna lose their house and I can take advantage of them so I don't have to pay over list price like everyone else. Truth bomb alert. Truth bomb coming at you. Time for some harsh reality with the emphasis on harsh. Don't hate me, I'm just the messenger. Do you think you're the only one out there who's thought of this? Do you think that if a home is a foreclosure, the bank's going to do a secret off-market sale that only you and your realtor know about? When every home out there is getting bid up, you don't think they're going to put it out there and get all the desperate buyers in there to try to get the most money they can? After all, they are a bank. And when they do list a fixer, a fixer upper, they're trying to recoup their loss. You know, suddenly that home appears on the market in 2022 and if it's less than an HGTV beauty that sold on the down the block for, you know, last week, well, there were 50 people that didn't get that house. So how many of them are gladly going to fight for this house, even if they don't do any fixing up to it and it looks like a fixer upper? That's the reality of what's going on. There just isn't anything out there. And let me back up my nuclear truth bomb with some facts and data. Facts and data, not ideas and philosophies I'm going to spew on the internet. I mentioned this to you before, and I will again now because I want the best for everyone out there. These are the Orange County numbers. I'll give you the updated numbers. Right now, where I live in Orange County, California, me and the housewives kicking it, there are currently 1,358 homes for sale. Now, the distressed homes, those are the ones that are foreclosures and short sales. They made up only 0.2% of all the listings. There are only two foreclosures and one short sale available to purchase in all of Orange County. Three distressed homes 
on the active market out of 1,358, that's 0.2%. And last year, in the middle of the pandemic, when we really thought this was going to happen, yeah, there were only six. So if my county represents, you know, what's going on in the rest of the nation in Canada, which talking to all my folks, it is, then what are the odds of the 0.2% homes in your market matching your wants and your needs? And like I said before, it's still going to have a bidding war just like the beautiful turnkey flipper down the street. Okay, now let me get into the details of why you wish your parents had gotten freaky and conceived you 10 years earlier. Well, because 2011 was the best time in the last 25, 30 years to buy a home. I know, but hey, that's the facts. So hindsight's 2020. Oh, hindsight's 2020, yet the present is 2022. Ooh, fun with numbers. I am a goober. Because unfortunately, the crash of 2008 and 2011, when all those foreclosures hit, it's not happening again. I went back and I researched a whole bunch of articles that I read and I saved for the last two years on the potential foreclosure crisis and why it's not coming this time. Now, the first article I read was from March 19th, 2020. This is direct from the article. Here we go. With all the havoc being caused by COVID-19, many are concerned we may see a new wave of foreclosures. Restaurants, airlines, hotels, and many other industries are furloughing workers or dramatically cutting their hours. Remember all that, gang? Without a job, many homeowners are wondering if they're going to be able to afford their mortgage payments. In spite of this, there are actually reasons we won't see a surge in the number of foreclosures like we did in the housing class of ten, uh, crash of 10 years ago. Here are just a few of those reasons. Now, this is back in 2020. These are the reasons they're giving you. March 19th, when the pandemic was just starting to shut things down. First thing is the government learned its lesson last time. The old crash happened. But what's happening now is during the pre, well, what they said was during the previous housing crash, the government was slow to recognize the challenges of homeowners and they waited too long to any relief. Today, actions being taken care of swiftly. Now that was back in 2020. Just that week, they pumped out the mortgage forbearance. More about that in a little bit. The other thing that was big difference was Homeowners learned their lessons from last time. When the housing market was going strong in the, early, in the early 2000s, I've told you this before, homeowners gained a tremendous amount of equity, and guess what they did? They began to tap in that equity using their homes like ATMs. It was insane. They were buying luxury items with and putting it on their house, cars, jet skis, big vacations. And then when prices drips, many found themselves upside down, that's a negative equity situation where the mortgage is actually greater than the value of the home because they punched it all up by taking all the dollars out of the house and spending it on goofy stuff. So what happened then? Well, some people walked away leaving the banks with no other option but to foreclose on the property. I've been screaming about this fact since 2011. This is what I think is one of the biggest reasons for the crash that happened back in 2008, and it is not happening today. From 2005 to 2007, homeowners cashed out $824 billion worth from home equity refinancing. From 2017 to 2020, they cashed out only $232 billion, less than one-third of what we saw before the last crash. Now, at the time of the article that was written here in 2020, 37% of homes in America, they had no mortgage at all. And that was back in 2020. 
And 16% had 50% over equity. So even if prices dip, and again, most experts are not predicting that they will, most homeowners will still have vast amounts of value in their homes and won't walk away from that money. So that's what they wrote back in March, 2020. Ah, good times. Remember the shutdown? Whew. Tiger King, lots of fun stuff. <laughs> and sure, prices dipped a little bit in the early pandemic, but you know what? It freaking lasted only eight weeks. Then things went up and during 2020, we saw bidding wars happen. Now they happen with people wearing gloves and masks and hazmat suits and every single open house that I went into, there were Clorox white boxes that people bought in bulk at Costco. And People still, they fought through that and they started buying. And in 2021, prices jumped 19%. So all those people that were afraid about going to lose their home, well, even if they lost their job, their home still went up 20% since 2020. And they were sitting there on a ton of equity. Equity cures everything, which is the reason why you're not going to be able to find as many foreclosures today. Now, I kept reading through everything, you know, being the real estate nerd that I am, you know, because... I'm super, super sweet. I've got uh, my laptop filled with all kinds of detailed real estate articles. In the middle of 2020, I started to see more articles coming out and then more as foreclosures and, and the government giving forbearance. And I've been watching this the whole time. And I've seriously seen, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 different articles on this stuff. And they pretty much are all saying the same thing about forbearance. If you don't know what forbearance is, forbearance is the government basically telling people, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay your equity or your equity. You don't have to pay your payment. Here's a look at why now that we've gone through all that, and the forbearances are, forbearances are closing. That is not going to happen. The first reason why we're not going to see a crash like we did on the last bubble, because there are fewer homeowners in trouble this time, like a lot fewer. After the last housing crash, over 9 million households lost their homes to foreclosures. 9 million people lost to foreclosures or short sales or, or if they just like gave it back to the bank, which still counts as a distressed property. Many people believed that millions of homeowners after COVID were going to face the same fate. However, I have something really interesting to help you understand that that's not true. It's called data facts. There are many homeowners that their forbearance plan, they're fully caught up on their payments or they, with a plan from their bank, they've actually reconstructed their loan in a way so that they can continue to start making their payments. The latest data from the Mortgage Bankers Association, that's the MBA. I want to see the MBA play the NBA in a game. Bunch of mortgage nerds getting dunked on. That'd be fun. Anyway, the MBA studies this is how people exited the forbearance program starting all the way back in June. Back in June 2020, people were already getting out of the program. Here are the findings. Number one, although a lot of people projected that 30% of all mortgage holders were going to enter the forbearance program, in reality, only 8.5% of the entire nation entered into this forbearance program where they put a pause on their payments. And Coming to the end of 2021 and into 2022, there's still only 2.2% left. Okay, so what happened to all the people? Now, it was only 8.5% of the country, but what happened to all the people that came in and are no longer in the program because we're all the way down to 2.2? Well, here's the math. 36% left the program, paid in full. 
with 6.9% of those people actually paying off their loan in full. So they're free and clear, no more loan. But 38.6% of the people are back in and paid off. 44% negotiated workout repayment plans. And that means a bunch of them receive loan deferments or a loan modification or getting an entire repayment plan. And 16.8% of the people left the program still in trouble without a loss medication in place. But most of them, they have the equity on their home. So they can sell that and just cover the debt. I don't know what's going on with these people. You know, these people are just stubborn or they're hiding under the covers. And, you know, you ever have those days where you just don't want to deal with anything? That's what they're doing, but they've got the equity. And sooner or later, when their back's against the wall, they could sell the house. The second piece of data they were giving us was the number of homes in forbearance today is extremely low compared to the crash times. Back then, we told you 9.3 million people lost their homes to foreclosures. As of January, the total number of mortgages still in forbearance is only 890,000. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I believe the technical term is 890,000 is precisely 1.3 buttloads less than 9.3 million. Is that correct? Not sure. And in 2022, those 890,000 people who remain in forbearance still have the chance to work out a suitable plan with their banks or, and the deal is once you get a loan, it goes to a servicing company from the banks and and the servicing companies for the mortgages they're under incredible pressure by both the federal and state agencies now rick sharga who's the executive vice president at reality track he said this recently he actually tweeted it pretty cool for a numbers dude quote the consumer financial protection bureau the cfpb and the state attorneys general sorry They look like they're adopting a zero-tolerance approach to mortgage servicing enforcement. Likely that will limit foreclosure activity for a good part of 2022, while service explorers explore all possible loss mitigation options. That means getting a deferment or getting a deal with them. Basically, they're just going to work a deal with the person instead of foreclosing on them. And then, like I said, one of the other things they talked about in this most recent article is that, you know, there's 16.8 of the people still left in the program, many of them have enough equity to sell their house. Of the 1.22 million homeowners currently in forbearance, 93% have 10% equity in their home. That's plenty of money to sell your house and get out of there scot-free without having to go into bankruptcy or foreclosure. That's an important number that 93% have 10% equity because 10%, if you take six or 7% to sell your home, They've got plenty of room to do it. The other thing we've been noticing is there are a lot less foreclosures happening right now. The fourth thing they talked about in this article is that over the past couple of years, we're seeing the banks are working with people. Even in the midst of a pandemic, there have been far less foreclosures than there were even just in 2017, 18 or 19. I mean, we're talking 400,000 foreclosures that normally would have happened did not happen. And then the biggest piece, this is number five, this market can absolutely absorb. You want to be a negative Nelly? I don't care. You want to be a hater? Rock on. I'm telling you this right now. If a million new listings hit the market, we'd be fine. A million. Now, you heard my numbers. We're not even talking close to that many people that might get dumped out of the forbearance program. 
But look, here's how it worked. Back in 2008, they added the, the oversupply of homes that were already happening. Well, they added to that with the foreclosures. Well, today's inventory number, when all the foreclosures hit in 2008, our number today is lower by 600%. 600%. I know some of you are pulling out your calculators right now just to figure out how you even calculate that. It's exactly the opposite today of how it was last time. The total housing inventory at the end of November amounted to 1.1 million units. Now, that's the end of November 2021. Now, they've got this weird stat in real estate where it's called a month's supply. So 1.1 million units based on the demand, everyone trying to buy the house is 2.1 months of demand. It's also called an absorption rate. It means that if no more homes came on the market today, if everything froze, how long would it take for all the active buyers out there to buy up the 1.1 million homes? Well, it says it would take 2.1 months. I think that number's way too high. I think it would take 2.1 weeks, but anyway, you know, let's stick with the real data. Fine. A balanced market means that we have approximately six months of supply of inventory. So at 2.1 months, the market is severely understocked. That means we can take a million homes, drop it on the market, even if a million people went into foreclosure, and there still wouldn't be enough inventory to meet the current demand. Forget the crash. It wouldn't even meet demand. It would barely slow it down. I don't even think prices would drop if a million new homes came out. I think it would just satisfy the people who are out there and we might flatten at worse. All of this is why my gal, Ivy Zellman, a woman who I am convinced is a mystical sorceress because of that awesome name. She's the founder of the major housing market analytical firm, Zellman & Associates. She was on point when she said, the likelihood of us having a foreclosure crisis again is about 0%. So that's your foreclosure topic. Let's get into topic number two. Okay, topic number two for today's podcast or tonight, if you're listening to this by yourself in your bed, weirdo. How do I get an insider deal? Now, if you're new to our home buying game and you're super bummed out because, you know, our first topic, you thought you were going to be able to really get a deal and snake in and grab a foreclosure. Well, you found out that's probably not going to be happening in the current market. And guess what? Now I'm going to burst your bubble again. If you're a hater and you love the drama, the snarky headlines, cool. This is for you. Gone is your positive cheerleader, old man. Drink. He's not going to be here for this segment. Sorry. That's not what I'm doing. I'm going to read you a listener email I got a long time ago. And guess what? If you love the drama, cool. I'm going to rip this to shreds. Now, of course, before I do, I want to make sure that I preface by saying that I don't blame this guy. I love any young entrepreneurial person out there trying to take on the world, especially an excited new home buyer. I know there's not enough information out there for you, so I want to change that. I admire this spirit. Go for it. I mean, look, if, if you think I'm not out there cheering on people that have ideas that they don't know if they're going to work, look at me. Nobody in real estate thinks what I'm doing is a good idea. And I'm three years into this craziness. I just want to help delineate fact from fiction. I know it all sounds easy because you read a couple of books and you listen to a couple of podcasts and you think you can get rich quick in real estate. And now you're pumped. And so you call me with your six months of knowledge and you're ready to buy a home for super cheap and then flip it and make a ton of money. Wish it was that easy. 
So don't call me a hater for dropping some reality on you. I'm doing this out of love. This listener question to me came with an, an email, I believe, and it was entitled, Our Current Flexible Mindset. That's how they titled it. I was like, great, flexible. Let's see what you got. I would prefer not to liquidate all my brokerage stocks unless we can find a single family home or a condo at 15 to 20% under market value. Under market value. As I understand, this means finding off-market deals using either Realtor Connections or Deal Machine. Okay, I get so bummed when I understand that first-time buyers go out to find information on actually buying their first home, and the only thing they find are these podcasts and other resources out there that are strictly made for people who are looking to invest. You know, they've got bigger pockets. That's why it's called bigger pockets. And I get so bummed out. They listen to Bigger Pockets, Deal Machine, or other real estate podcasts or books. They're all about growing your wealth through real estate. And so a lot of people think, okay, cool. I'm going to get a jump start on this. I'm going to do this at the beginning. I'm going to do this with my very first home. And it's cool because I'm going to use the leverage of the bank. I use that word now, leverage. I understand that. And I'm going to start with a low down payment. It's an easy way to start building wealth through buying my first piece of property, my home. Okay, this is far more complex than it seems. And to do this, you have to have an investor mindset. And that mindset is predicated on not all deals work out for investors. And in this case, your first deal, which you have to be able to walk away from, or, or even worse, have to be able to get into it and then be able to have it go sour. Well, that's going to suck if that's the place where you live. The minute you tie your personal home into that equation, you stop being an investor because now you're personally involved in it and that changes everything. Now let's get to some of the factual reasons that this plan is flawed. Even if you don't give a hoot about where you live and you're like, I don't care, I'll take any deal. Great, time for truth bombs to shed some light on this. You know, that person out there who thinks they know what they're doing, you've logged all of 50 hours reading about real estate, woohoo, good for you. And you think anyone can use a realtor connection and get an off-market home for 15 to 20% off-market value? Woo, ah, man, can I please have some of that crack that you're smoking? Seriously. In a slow market, the average home sells at about 95 to 97% of the list price. In an average slow market, that's called the list price to sales price ratio. And if you don't know what that is, stop asking me to buy a home for 15 to 20% off market value. So if a home is three to 5% off market value in a slow market, and not even close to your 15 or 20% that you're looking for, you know, since 2020, actually, most homes have been selling above their list price. That's 101, 102, sometimes 110 sales price to list price ratio. So God bless you for digging deep and doing your research. And I don't know who's telling you that, but they are so far off of what you can buy a home based on where it is for the market value. It's just straight up BS. Here's how it works. Any home that far off the market, first of all, I never see them, but if, let's just say some of the day I did. Any home that far off the market value has big problems, and you're not going to be able to get a loan to purchase it because banks don't lend on big problem homes. So the reality is the home's going to be purchased cash by a cash investor who really understands the game, and they're going to be happy to sell you that home for 5% above market value after they rehab it with a team that they have on retainer to do the work cheap for them since they work on volume with multiple different properties. That's the game they're playing. 
It's not whatever you heard from people trying to sell you a seminar on their podcast. It's not whatever you heard from people who are trying to get you to do their webinar. The cash game is deep pockets. It's experience and understanding of how things works. And it's buying things, multiple different homes, and not all of them have to work. It's not just one purchase, which is what happens when you're buying your primary residence. So I ask you, you ready for that, homie? Those cash peeps can afford to lose money on one home. Because that's not their only deal this month. They've got at least 8, 10, 12 deals that are going to be in the black so they can eat a few. But what if that home is your home? And because you're just doing one for one. And what are the odds that doing one for one, you're going to end up being better than them? But if you don't want to liquidate your stocks to start and be a cash buyer, then you have to get a loan to buy homes with the rest of us lowly buyers. And they all play by a different set of rules. So then continuing in the email, he says to me, uh, we don't want to string along an agent you know, with a, a tough search like this. I understand sometimes it can take months. No property nor the first deal is ever perfect. And you can't wait forever. So, you know, at this point right now, we're just not going to invest to own any property without making sure that it improves our financial situation. Okay. longtime listeners, you might want to plug your ears because this is not the Dave Sedoni you know. Really? Really? <laughs> okay, math man, let me ask you a question. Which way have the market's been going? And how about interest rates? Can you show me the spreadsheet that shows that waiting four months, even just four months for a home... To try to find one that's even 5% of the market value is cheaper than buying a home at market value four months ago when the rates were lower by half a point and the prices were lower by 5%. Did you understand that? No? Okay, so maybe at this point you got to trust me a little bit. See, you wouldn't be stringing good agents along because if you brought this formula and this idea to not just buy any old home, any good realtor would show you these simple facts and they would hope that your mind is open and if it wasn't, well, then you're probably going to move along to the next one and just wait for someone to tell you what you want to hear. This crap is dangerous. It's as dangerous as Dave Ramsey telling people to sit out in the 2010s and stay renting when they could have bought the home and the math would have earned them tons of money without any risk of them going into bankruptcy, which is the big thing they're trying to do is keep you out of debt. The reality check is if you want your first home to be the foundation of your financial empire, you missed the basic principle in all investing. Homes today, you have to understand where their pricing is. They're like Google stock. You missed it. I wish you could have, but you missed it. 15 to 20% off buying never happens. And it sure as hell doesn't happen in this bidding war market. No, you have to work the math. You have to see how to make the math work for you. Because no one is selling you that Google stock at $2,700 a pop no one is just going to go, oh, I got to get rid of this one. Let's just get rid of it for 2200 No matter how many podcasts tell you, this is the best way to make money and build an empire. Really? Duh. You mean the best way for me to make money is to buy $2,700 stock for 2200 Boy, I never would have thought of that. What commodity sells itself at 15 to 20% off market value in a market that is appreciating? And then he wraps it up by saying that your podcasts of loan have been a good inspiration, regardless if you can recommend a real estate agent that we can end up working with. Well, that's very nice. And I appreciate that. Needless to say, I don't think that my unicorns ever told him the story that he wanted to hear. Remember, everybody out there looking to buy a home and looking to get a deal. This is the time in history that you got this idea. 
that's the ultimate factor. And if you don't study the past market to understand the present market, you're never going to be able to take advantage of the present so you can thrive in the future. If you're determined to get what you heard was possible once on a podcast somewhere without researching the market history to see if that is possible in the present market, instead of actually accepting reality and realizing, hey, here I am in today land, well, then most likely if you keep doing that, the future is going to pass you by. Google is not 100 bucks a share, and you may have to find a new way to build your fortune. But in the meantime, the whole thing that I'm trying to help you guys understand is you still need shelter. So let's see if you can make that work for you. The payment you're already paying, even just a little bit. I have no idea what happened to the guy. And if he's still listening, give me an update. I'd love to hear about it. I really, really do hope it worked out for him. It's probably the harshest I've ever been on the podcast because I'm here to support you guys. But I hope you understand what I'm trying to do is if you've got some great ideas, it's kind of like with my buyers. My buyers, they'll tell me all the time, hey, like right now, homes sell in a couple days. So people will come to me and be like, hey, this home looks awesome. It's $50,000 less than all these other $700,000 homes. And it's been on the market for 94 days. I go, okay, say that back to me. Well, it's $50,000 less than all the other homes we've seen. Okay. And how many homes have we tried to put offers on? Well, nine. And how much have we been going over the market price? Well, 50, sometimes $100,000. And how long has this home been on the market? 94 days. And how long does it take for all those other homes? Two days. Ah, see, you come in with these great questions and great ideas, but once you get into what's actually going on, you're going to be able to see red flags from a mile away. Okay, topic number three, investing first, then buying your own home. Now, this is kind of on the same topic here, but this is a little different because people are coming in, they're trying to ask a safe way for them to start to build their wealth. They just want to start it with their own home first. Okay, here's the listener email. Thank you. I'm new to this and I've only listened to a handful of your episodes. I'm sure that some of the questions I have for you are probably going to be answered if I took a little more time listening, but I figured you're so forward about telling people to reach out to you. I figured I'd just email you my situation and see if you could guide me some. Totally down with that. And this was great. I got to answer him. Now, hopefully other people listening are thinking about using their home as a first time as an investment, their first home property. You can use this information. Now we get to the heart of the matter. Listen to what he says. He says, where I live is expensive and I don't foresee myself being able to buy here anytime soon. Sound familiar, anyone? Yeah. While I would very much like to buy a home someday, I think for the current situation, the smartest move for me financially would be to buy a home somewhere else out of state where I can buy with my current income. I'm most interested in buying an investment property and have some questions about that option. Before I go further with any questions, I also want to bring up that I'm open to the idea of relocating anywhere. Relocating? What is that emphasis? I'm open to the idea of relocating in order to get whatever advantages I can as far as down payments and loans. I'm under the impression that if I live in a place I'm buying, I can get a lower down payment and maybe better loans, but I'm not sure if that applies to multi-units. I'd like to buy a multi-unit, a duplex, and a couple of questions right off the bat. Number one, do you need 20% down for an investment property? Number two, do you lose any advantages you might have as a first-time home buyer if you're buying an investment property? And number three, is buying a multi-unit considered an investment property even if you live in one of those units? So what I told him was, as far as buying an investment property that you live in, love that idea because that's great. 
because you can buy them without having to put the full 20% down. If you're buying a duplex, a triplex, or a fourplex, you can get into one of those and you can still take advantage of the low down payment options that are open to first time home buyers. And yes, it's not going to affect how you're going in. There will be a little bit of stuff that's gonna happen with the approval based on the rental and the rental history. But in general, you can still get in for a lower down payment as long as if you're approved to buy something in that price range. And it is considered, it's kind of a hybrid. Yes, it's considered an investment property, but you still are able, if you're buying it yourself, to be able to take advantage of the lower first time buyer or just general lower down payment programs. So, but one of the things that I tell people if, they, if they're if they not thinking about living in the home, because I get a lot, of, so that was my answer to that guy. But some people, they say, you know, I want to buy my own investment property first before I buy my own property. Now, that is where I get into a little different area. I, I get that question often from first-time buyers because they hear about real estate investing and they think it's too expensive where they are and they got FOMO, so they just want to go out and buy a home someplace else and rent it out. And a lot of times, in my humble opinion, your best bet is to keep saving and secure for your own home purchase as the foundation of your real estate investing. It's the advice that I give everybody. Now, I've learned that investing can sound like a simple way to build your wealth. And people out there, especially people trying to sell you something, they're going to you know, tell you that it's easy. But remember, there's one key formula that most people don't talk to you about in the equation of buying investment properties. If you buy an investment property and you don't own a property yourself, you might make some money every month. But what about the rent that you're still throwing away? There's tons of math to consider if you wanna buy an investment property first before you buy your property. So I'm only gonna skim the basics because there is so much more to it. My podcast doesn't talk about buying investment homes instead of owning because it's very complex and it's totally different for each person. And my goal is to help people take advantage of the thing that they're already gonna buy anyway. That doesn't mean that I can't explain it. Don't think I can't. I just know from experience that the majority of first-time home buyers, the complex math usually works in your favor when you secure your own property first and eliminate your largest monthly expense of renting. And you convert that into a mortgage, which by the way, is a safe, historically proven long-term high, well, no, it's, it's more of a, an average return on your investment, low to average, three to 4%. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, then... I feel confident and ethically comfortable saying to you, I'm not going to go any more into this because trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Fine. I lied. I'll give you a little more. If that does make sense to you and you don't just want to trust me on this one and you think your numbers are better investing as opposed to getting in your own house, here's some basic math for you. These are things that my friends, a lot of people I work with at Disneyland who are young first-time homebuyers, especially the tech dudes who have nothing to do but sit around in between shows and research crap, they literally come to me with this and they tell me, I heard about this guy, he's buying property in this place for this and this is his numbers. So let's say that they want to live in a $500,000 condo and it's going to cost them $25,000 all in. That's a 3.5% down payment and 1.5% closing costs. Okay, so they want to buy that house. They don't have 25000 and they don't want to spend the, you know, about 2800 a month it would cost, P-I-T-I. What they've got is $15,000, and they think the 2800 a month is too steep for them. So then they research, and they come back to me, and they say, here's what I'm going to do, Dave. Got my idea. I'm going to go buy this $250,000 house. I'm only going to put 12500 down, 
That's going to be my down payment and my closing costs. And get this, dude, the payment's only going to be $1,400, but I can rent it for $1,800, $400 a month, $4,800 a year. Sounds great, right? Yes, it does sound great. And so does a house made of lollipops and gingerbread. It ain't real. First up, the 3.5% down payment for your primary residence that you're talking about going out and buying investment property. Technically, you're not allowed to use a low down payment if you don't live in the house, if it's not considered your primary property. Now, there are people who find ways around it, but technically, you're not allowed to do it. So that's the big one I want you all to know. So if you could finagle your way around that and you did end up getting that low down payment for a cheap investment property someplace else, let's think about the math that you just talked about. You put $12,500 down, you're making $400 a month. That would be an annual return of 4,800 bucks. Now on a 1250 investment, $4,800 a month is 38.4%. Now if this was easily doable, People with $100,000 cash that they want to invest, and trust me, there are plenty of those people out there, they would be doing this eight times over. And then they'd figure out a way to save $100,000 and they'd be doing it again next year. Everyone with any sort of money would go after a 38.4% return on their investment. If the cash flow was only 100 bucks instead of $400 a month, that's still an 8% return on investment. That's still considered good if you're dealing with stocks. And look, if you still listen to me and you still think it's better for you to do this, don't even come at me with, well, David, you're not counting the equity that goes in the house. Yes, you're right. The home is going to make some equity. But remember, number one, any gain in equity on an investment property that you don't sell is just on paper. It's still on paper, right? And do you know how much it's going to cost you to sell the house? Well, instantly, you have to take 7.5% off of your equity profits. And in today's market, it's going to probably take you about two, two and a half years to gain 7.5%. So you're not even making any money on the equity for a couple of years. And that's just the basic math. I'm not even taking into account any of the things that come along with being a landlord. We're talking about understanding the process of buying a home out of state, the property management fees, the vacancy rates, the tenant issues, the leaky toilets, the property upkeep, and the list goes on and on and on and on. In general, the numbers that you hear about investing in your first home, they're just too good to be true. And you know me, I'm all about truth bombs, especially if you don't have the capital to back things up if anything goes wrong. If you really have a handle on the entire real estate investing game and you want to make it happen, then you probably know what I'm going to advise that you should do, Right. If you really know what you're talking about, then you probably know what I'm going to say you should do. Any guesses? Yeah, it's that duplex, triplex, whatever the hell they call a fourplex. I've actually heard them called a quadplex. I don't know if that's guys who are into working out. Got my quads. So if you've got questions about that, hit me up. I actually just heard the other day. So this is early March right now. I'm putting this down. So early March 2022, some lenders are now starting to lend on the property as opposed to on the borrower. Now, does that make any sense to you? Let me explain to you in layman's terms. What that means is if you're trying to buy a duplex or a fourplex, they're actually going to take into account what the rent is to decide how big a loan they're going to give you. Usually a loan is based on your income and your debt, but instead of using that, they're talking about up in your ceiling for your max approval. Now that I'm seriously into. 
We're gonna take a little while to make sure that works out, but if you got questions about that, hit me up with it. I am all for people making the right moves to set themselves up for the long game. And in my opinion, as stated by many, many, many different episodes that I have done in the past, the numbers thrown away in your rent usually outweigh the profits that you can make playing any investor's game because you're playing with just a regular person's capital. And by the way, that's coming from me, the guy who railed all over Dave Ramsey for being too safe. You know, there are people out there who are saying, oh, I'm being too aggressive. As I said, Dave Ramsey is the safest. I'm giving you a safer or maybe even just safe option. You guys know you listen to me. I'm going to fight the power and disagree with people that are too conservative in their home purchase philosophies. Yet, I have been at this for a long time and I still tell people that the math is probably in favor of you getting your own property first before you go out and try to buy an investment property. And if you really have your heart set on that, I always recommend that people get into a duplex or a multi-unit. Do that first before you start building your empire. I'm down with the empire. Oh, did I just say that? Sorry, I'm a rebel. If you have questions about options for you, since each buyer situation is totally different, go to howtobuyahome.com. That's where you ask me a question. You can also DM it to me at Instagram, at David Sidoni. Tons of free content on there. Also, the How to Buy a Home Hot Podcast YouTube page. That is kicking right now. You want some more free information with no one trying to sell you anything? Cool. Go to the How to Buy a Home YouTube page. Lots of videos there. The Facebook How to Buy a Home group. I'm on TikTok and Twitter, but it's mostly silly. Whatever. And all this free content comes to you. And I hope that it's really helping you guys out and really would help us out if you share this with your friends, if you rate it, and especially if you review it. Spotify's got reviews now. That'd be awesome if you could review on Spotify. And the Apple reviews, those are always the bomb. They really help me out. I'm here to help you out. I'm here to answer your questions. I'm trying to get this so big that we can start a revolution and change the way the real estate industry treats you first-time home buyers. You need to understand all this, and you need to make sure that you're protected so you don't get screwed. And look, don't be bummed out if I trash some of your ideas. That's fine. The name of the game isn't to figure out how to do something so totally crazy that no one's ever done before. The name of the game is to come to someone that's done it and go, look, dude, here's the cheap, shortcut, easiest way to do it. And that's the best you can do. If you get even close to that, you scored in this market. Believe in the math, believe in the process, and you will be able to find a way to dump your rent. Whether you take an aggressive plan or a conservative plan, once you fully understand the rules of the game. So that's the way this works. Learn the game. And you can do this.